The opinions and viewpoints expressed in this podcast represent those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Metadata Solutions. This podcast has been created for general information and educational purposes only. This podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. You're listening to Clinical Minds, presented by Metadata, the Dassault Systems Company. I'm Alicia Staley. And I'm Kelly McKee. This season, we're chatting with a number of industry experts and patient advocates to better understand what the ideal patient journey looks like, how we can create a more engaging patient experience, and the technology and processes that drive greater transparency in clinical research. Today, we're excited to speak with Craig Lipset, clinical advisor and founder at Clinical Innovation Partners, on the current state of patient data return and the opportunities it creates to improve the patient experience, particularly in clinical trial retention and engagement. Craig, thanks so much for joining us. Alicia, it is honestly uh, such a pleasure to be here with both of you. Rock stars should be in front of microphones, and it's great to see you this way. Well, you're too kind as always. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about patient data return. Um, Craig, can you tell us what it is and why it's such a hot topic right now, and why should we care about it? Wow, that's a very vast question. Um, You know, I think to me, as we're thinking about patient data return in our clinical trials, it's really just catching up and trying to keep pace with the transformation that all of us, in particular in the United States, but many globally, have been experiencing as patients for years. Um, We can all log in now to our patient portals. We can access data in different ways uh, from our healthcare experiences. And this is really just the opportunity to make sure that research is keeping pace. But, you know, when I was in um, my last pharma company, so much of this was tied back to our commitment to trust and transparency. And in the research space, there's, you know, there's nothing better that we can do to improve trust than be transparent. And the easiest way is to be transparent with our data. That's a really good point. I think, you know, transparency is so, it is paramount to building trust in this kind of relationship. And and we really need to do that. There's no question about it. Um, in some ways, it seems counterintuitive not to return data to a patient. But a question always comes up with um, who should be the one to actually give them the results or the information, the data that's come from a, a trial. Craig, what are your thoughts on that? No, it's, it's a great question. And uh, it, that question comes up in a, in a number of ways. Um, how do we contextualize it to make sure it's, it's being presented in a way that can be understood? How do we um, ensure temporality, what data can be returned when? But Alicia, so much of that question of yours goes back to the, to the appreciation that historically, we honestly didn't sweat this right? We, we blinded investigators to some data, and we kind of assumed that patients were just blinded to everything. Um, and so this is all really fertile ground. This is really new territory. I think I can count on one hand the number of large pharma that have really started to move in this direction. Um, it's a small community today. But to your point, it's hard to find people that that are strongly against this idea, certainly making it available as an option for people. The challenge of contextualization of data to me, you know, as a, as a pharma research sponsor, I'm not a healthcare provider. I shouldn't be in the healthcare provision business. 
that's for the patient and their provider. Um, and my job should be to make sure that the data that's available is as accessible and transparent for those stakeholders as it needs to be. Now, fortunately, the world has been moving very quickly in this space in terms of healthcare delivery. Uh, I, as a consumer, can access my data and do different things with it that can help me to understand my data, to help me contextualize it. So if I were to give an example, if a research study were to share back blood pressure data with me, and it's done in a way that's interoperable according to current standards of interoperability for patients and consumers, well, I should then be able to bring that data into different types of patient-facing tools, decision support tools for me that can help me to understand it and make more, more the most sense of it. When I was at Pfizer, I really didn't want my team to perceive that it was their job to try to explain data to people, but their job to make sure that the data needs to be as accessible and available. Now, that this other question, though, as far as who should be the one returning the data, you know, it, this is a really interesting question. And it, it sort of goes back to that. There's technically a number of ways we can envision getting data back to people. Maybe we have a study-specific portal. Maybe they have an account on the platform where the study was taking place. But I also think it's important to keep in mind that the settings where patients are going for receiving care and participating in research, they should have patient portals there too. And it's, it's interesting for us to envision data schemes that make sure that study data is flowing back into those settings. I'll give an example. If I'm participating in a research study with my doctor, um, then the study data should be flowing back into my medical record so that he or she can use that data as a part of my care, and then it should be available in the patient portal I'm already interacting with him or her around. So there are a few ways for us to think about data flow here. It's, it's early days, I think, for this space for us to really figure this out and get it right. So you talked a little bit about where we should be going with data flowing from, you know, portal to portal. But what happens today? What happens to my clinical trial data? Does it just go in a black hole forever? Um, does it even go to my treating physician? I mean, like, this is information about me as a patient. Um, and it could be important to my health. Like, what happens today? Unfortunately, as, as I think many of us see, the, the data gets very heavily siloed. I think it gets siloed in, in a number of ways that are uh, ultimately disappointing to our patients and participants. For one, it's siloed in that it's really only serving one research master, right? I think when most individuals make a decision to participate in research, they want to impact research. They want transparency around all the places their data is going, but they want it to go places. Um, and in most instances, if you are in one study, your data is flowing up into one study database to serve one study team. Now, to your other point, though, uh, unfortunately, your data as a research participant does get heav heavily siloed. We know that there's only a segment of patients who are participating in research studies with their treating clinicians. Right? There are many patients that are going to other dedicated research sites in order to participate in research studies or other clinicians on the other side of town in order to participate. 
And that's where things really start to break. That's where the people that are caring for you before and after the trial have no visibility to this data that was collected about you during this period of time. I think that's where we have to do better. And that's where it's interesting for us to think really expansive about where data return can go so that it can do the most good. But Kelly, to your point right now, it's really just flowing up in terms of upward to a research ecosystem, not wide and broad in terms of touching the rest of my care team. Yeah, and this has implications, right? So if you're an oncology patient and you need to get a, for example, I don't know, a, a scan with um, with a dye in it for a study, and then you also need it for standard of care, that's twice the amount of dye that your body has to um, process, right? I mean, it's not just a checkbox activity. Like this can have real implications on a patient. I think it can even be as basic as lab work. Right. I mean, the number of needle sticks and copays that just in a primary care patient uh, may be having to manage and deal with. If there's routine chemistry that's being drawn about me as a participant at a research site down the block from my provider, and that research site is sending it off to LabCorp or Quest, it, right? The same labs with the same tools and standards that my own doctor might be using, it, it is kind of crazy that then I might end up seeing my doctor the next week getting another needle stick and a copay just because they can't see the data for the chemistry that was drawn last week. And from the patient perspective, that's what's really uh, unfortunate because we, we, don't, we don't think about that enough. We don't think about the burden that we're placing on the patient to you know, op, uh, exist in these disparate worlds, if you will. There's the research world, there's the the care world, and, and they really need to, we need to figure out a way to, to bridge the gap between these two, because the one, the patients are at the short end of this one, no doubt about it. Um, there's a lot of wasted opportunity, inefficiency. My new hot button topic is is around efficiency. Are we building an efficient system for the patient to participate in? And we really, we're leaving a lot on the table, so to speak, in terms of missed opportunities for making it better for the patient. But how do we begin to change this? I mean, how do we make patient data return just part of the normal operating procedure, if you will, as, a, as opposed to the exception? And, and how do we make this data really begin to flow uh, in new ways. Every change in our industry, as we know, starts with a, a tremendous amount of inertia. The pioneers in each organization have to navigate unprecedented hurdles of legal and privacy and uh, clinicians that are worried about uh, and stat statisticians that may be worried about data integrity and blinding. There's, there's a host of of real questions that need to be addressed in order for each organization to move in this direction. But we can't let this perception of an insurmountable object stand in our way. And incrementalism here can count, even if we're finding pathways to just making accessible unblinded chemistry data or other data that we can have confidence is not going to be disruptive, that a patient could go to a lab down the street and get their chemistry work done. If we can find in, in each of our studies, in each of our organizations, some element of data that we can start to return, I think that's going to help to crack open the door and build confidence within organizations. You don't have to 
swing the door wide open and create a flood of, of data sharing right on day zero. That's going to seem daunting and make it hard to see that first step forward. Quite honestly, I think the the other thing that needs to happen in this space for us to drive change is it has to be easy for study teams. Um, today, like study teams are, are overworked, they're stretched thin, they're under-resourced. And one more thing, even if it's a thing that feels right to do, that's going to affect them with additional requirements, more vendors to have to manage, it's just going to make it hard. That's where I love the idea that the data platforms that are leading in this space can start to create this as a feature, a function, a tool, and that we can move closer to that tool being a default on rather than a default off. And I realize that for organizations like Metadata, you can't necessarily start there. But I love the idea that as this experience is getting built, for us to get to a place where for each instance of data capture in a trial that's going live, the default is on that patients will have access to data. And what I think that's going to do is really challenge sponsors to have to look within and say, do I really need to turn this switch off? It's hard for organizations to say, I'm going to add something new, but it's also hard to say, I'm going to take away a feature if it's just baked in and available on the platform. And so as we build this experience and as organizations even start to you know, make those incremental steps, make some step forward, small steps forward or steps in the right direction. But let's see um, when we can reach that milestone and celebrate together that patient data return is just now the default. And if somebody wants to turn it off, let them battle within their organization to explain why. Well, we're all about the um, champagne and celebration, so count us in there. Um, you talked a, a lot about um, needing to make it easy for the the clinical trial managers or the operators. Is it isn't it really important also to get buy in at, at the executive level? So you're coming at it from both sides, and and if you agree with that, like what's the best way to to get a executive at a major pharmaceutical company or a biotech interested in this and and you know get them to say yes this is something we need to do I think that there are two um, two opportunities for how we engage with senior leaders around this type of change uh, one is the path that we had taken at Pfizer which was to ride on the rails of transparency and trust and the belief that where there were key stakeholders in, in the executive leadership team and in the C-suite that were trying to drive more efforts around transparency and trust, this was going to be a lever to make that happen. And when you, when you see some of the earliest announcements around the Pfizer Blue Button project way back when, that was really how it was positioned externally and internally. But I think for a lot of organizations today, especially in the C-suite, there's another value prop, another opportunity right next to trust and transparency. And it's around our aspirations of data science and real world data. Because today we have this fabulous opportunity to invite patients in our research studies to connect and share unprecedented amounts of data with us. And whether we're looking at that through 
fire standards or tokenization or HIPAA right of access, whatever the approach is to inviting people who are consenting in our research studies to connect and share more data with us, I think we're going to have to really step forward and appreciate that sharing is a two-way street. And if we want to maintain trust with people to share more and more of their data, real world data, EMR data, and otherwise with us, we need to share with them. This old lesson of, um, you know, if you're going to a friend's cocktail party before you go eating their cheese, bring a bottle of wine, right? Bring something to the party. And uh, I know we keep falling back to alcohol and celebrations here, but there's a lot to celebrate here. Um, so to me, these are these are the two themes that that I would continue to press forward with executive leadership inside of pharma and biotech. One is around trust and transparency, and the second is around our longer term aspirations to have this big data, real world data engagement with our research participants and to realize that data has to flow two ways. And that's a great point. I mean, it, it is, we're, we're all about the data. We're all about making sure that this information is flowing to all people or all, all ecosystem stakeholders, if you will, that need to see it. But one of the things that I've always been concerned about is in thinking of my own personal journey over the last 30 years, I've kicked off a lot of data and I wonder how much has never been actually analyzed <laughs> or, you know, is, is somebody actually looking at it? It's almost like is a, a tree falls in the forest is if no one's there to hear it, it doesn't make a sound. If, if data is generated, but no one's there analyzing it, it you know, what happens, what happens to that data? And I, it, I, I think it's something that we need to be mindful of. So when we're talking about patient data return, What's the context that, that we're sharing that back? Is it just raw data? Is it contextualized uh, presentation? You know, what's what sort of best practices for patient data return? And do you have any examples that really stand out as something the industry should should look to emulate? When I was on the pharma side, my focus was on data standards and interoperability rather than interfaces and user experience. With the mindset that in a large pharma company, if we were to deploy a UX, it would be obsolete six months before we deployed it. It's, it's hard and it's a dynamic space. And if you make data available in a way that innovators and other data platforms can do great things with it for people, they will. You just have to leverage data standards and norms that make it accessible for others. And so as I think about contextualization and interfaces around data. To me, coming from the pharma side, I would say for them, don't get lost on UX. Focus on making as much data, as temporal as possible, available using data norms and standards so that others can pick it up, render it, visualize it, enable decision support, help providers get access to it, whatever the use cases are that people want to do with their data or not, right? Keeping in mind that, you know, I used to get dinged for this all the time. Some people, Craig, don't want to see their data. They would tell me, well, I'm not dropping toothpicks in people's eyes, forcing them to look at their data. Like uh, this is, again, for those who want it to make sure it's available. But, you know, Alicia, I also think so much about like 
an analogy of like my credit report. I don't want to look at my credit report. I want to know that it's there. It's transparent. I can look at it and see what's actually in it. And then I can use that data to do other good things that are good for me. Um, I can share it to get a, a mortgage or something like that. And to me, that's kind of what I aspire to do with my data. But again, you know, there are others out there with, you know, fabulous visions for great ways to visualize and render data. I say just make it as broadly interoperable and accessible for me as an individual to bring it where, uh, where I want for all those great use cases. So, Craig, what do you think patient data return looks like in five years and in 10 years and in, in 15 years? Or are things going to get better and better? Or do you think we're going to reach a plateau? That is a fabulous question. I think that over the coming five years, I think one shift that we'll start to see is that research sponsors, study teams that for a long time have been very thoughtful about what data in a study needs to be blinded are going to have to look at that question with a fresh set of eyes th through the eyes of a patient and a participant in their study. What is the real data that the participant has to be blinded to, and not just assume that the participant sees nothing. Because when we're able to flag the data fields for which they're truly blinded, then we can open up and, and ensure temporality for the rest of the data. If I'm not blinded to the data in the study, it should be available to me in near real time or real time, right? Because temporality matters here. If I want to avoid getting that second needle stick for that blood draw, temporality matters. There's some data that's going to have to be embargoed. There's some data that I'm going to have to be blinded to while I'm in the trial. There needs to be transparency for me and make sure I can understand what data and why and when I'm going to get it. And in those cases, historical data still matters too. It's still helpful for me for looking at trends to understand, is this blood pressure I'm seeing today unprecedented or does it exist in my records that have you know predated today? I'd like to believe that over this next five-year window, we'll see enough other sponsors that start to take those steps here, and those that were pioneers really try to drive more meaningful adoption and scale. I, unfortunately, the momentum here hasn't been as strong as it needs to be. I'm optimistic that as study teams are more consistently engaging with patients for input in the design of their studies, that they will include conversations around expectations for data and data access and start to move in this direction. But I do believe that data platforms that sponsors are using for their studies that are making this available are going to create an inflection point because it's going to be that much easier for study teams to say yes. I do think that eSource as that pathway moves forward will also turn into a two-way street so that eSource isn't just a story of me trying to pull data. And, and when I say eSource, I know it means a thousand things. In this case, I mean pulling some data perhaps into my study database from my provider's EMR. I think that also is going to start to become more bilateral. And in doing so, I think that's also going to help us address some of the gap that we were talking about earlier, that the rest of my care team has no visibility to this data. Some of this research data can even start to appear back in my own portal with my uh with the rest of my care team 
Well, it sounds like the future of patient data returns pretty bright. Um, I'm certainly excited about it. Uh, Craig, this time has just flown by. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if people want more information or want to contact you, what's the best way? I will see you on Twitter and LinkedIn, Craig Lipset on Twitter and just me on LinkedIn, um, maybe on Clubhouse if you haven't played around there. Um, and then hopefully one of these days back at maybe a conference or a meeting or an event and we'll get to see people again there. But Kelly, Alicia, thank you so much for starting these conversations, for driving these types of changes forward and the opportunity to share here today. Well, the pleasure's ours. This has been Clinical Minds presented by Metadata. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. We particularly like the five-star reviews and we'd love to hear from you. See you next time. Thanks so much, everyone.